0: Injured in a car accident, we cap attorney's fees at 30% of the first million. Any recovery above that is all yours. No recovery, no fees or costs. If another lawyer wants more, lawyer up 904. For accidents, injuries, and more, lawyer up 904. Jacksonville. The sports world keeps spinning and the local conversation continues. Now, Hacker After Dark on 1010XL.
1: And a very good Monday evening to you, Jacksonville. It is Hacker After Dark, 1010XL, 92.5 FM with Dylan Denmark. The Hacker Ryan Green with you. Glad you are with us as we kick off Super Bowl week. The Kansas City Chiefs and the Philadelphia Eagles in the 57th Super Bowl out there in Glendale, Arizona. Tonight is the opening night for Super Bowl week festivities referred to as Super Bowl Media Day, back in the day. So we'll see if any uh, interesting sound bites come out of there. But we got a lot to do. We're glad you are with us. Dave Campo, Monday Night Coaching with Campo. He's coming up in less than 20 minutes as we will talk Andy Reid in Kansas City. We will talk Nick Sirianni and Philadelphia. Look, Dave Campo, as an assistant coach with the Dallas Cowboys, not one, not two, but three Super Bowl rings. I've seen them. They're very impressive. So if anybody can talk Super Bowl here in Jacksonville, it's our guy Dave Campo. We will do that about 20 minutes from right now. Right about 9 o'clock this evening, Chad Forbes. You might follow Chad on Twitter, at NFL Draft Bites. The one thing I love about Chad is he's not going to sugarcoat a whole lot. He's going to tell you what he thinks. And I haven't talked to Chad Uh, really this entire season. Had him on a lot last year leading up to the draft. So we're going to talk to Chad Forbes, who's uh, followed the NFL for years, pretty well connected. I'm going to ask him his thoughts on the Jaguars this past year, his thoughts on the Jaguar offseason and what they need to do to improve the roster. We'll obviously talk a little Super Bowl as well and some of the head coaching hirings. D'Amico Ryans in Houston, Frank Reich in Carolina. You got, obviously, Sean Payton in Denver at this point. Who knows if Arizona or Indianapolis are ever going to hire head coaches? It is February 6th, and neither team has a head coach yet. So all that with Chad Forbes coming up at 9 o'clock. And at the bottom of the 9 o'clock hour, my friend Mark Wise of the ESPN family of networks. Mark Wise has forgotten More about college basketball than I'll ever know. He is our college basketball guy here on Hacker After Dark. We'll talk Florida, Florida State, a little March Madness as a whole. It was a good weekend of college hoops. My alma mater, the University of North Florida, fighting Ospreys. Not one, but two victories over Jacksonville University. Had a little bragging rights. In my house. I'm a UNF alum. My wife, Heidi, is a JU alum. So that was very nice. Congratulations to Matthew Driscoll and everybody over there at UNF for back to back wins on Thursday and on Saturday to sweep this year's River City Rumble. So Mark Wise talking college hoops at the bottom of the nine o'clock hour. As we do every night here on Hacker After Dark, we kick it off with a big deal of the night. And Dylan, Denmark. Let's do that right now.
0: Time now for the big deal of
2: the night. What's the big deal?
1: What is the big deal? deal. It is a big deal. On
0: Hacker
2: After Dark. One
1: football game remains. Sunday evening, it will be the NFC champion Philadelphia Eagles and the AFC champion Kansas City Chiefs. And the storylines are unbelievably juicy. From Andy Reid, 14 years as coach of Philadelphia, now 10 years the coach in Kansas City, where he will be if he wins on Sunday. He's already in the conversation for maybe the second greatest head coach this century. Obviously, he's not Belichick, but probably just after Belichick since the year 2000. He's certainly in that debate. If he gets another Super Bowl, that makes him a two-time Super Bowl winner and a four-time Super Bowl participant, then I think you have to start asking yourself, is Andy Reid among the top 10, top five NFL head coaches of all time? I think it's a legitimate conversation. And again, coaching against his former team. Then you obviously have the Kelsey Bowl. Travis Kelsey, all-pro tight end for the Kansas City Chiefs against his brother Jason Kelsey, all-pro center of the Philadelphia Eagles, the first time in Super Bowl history. And I'm surprised by this. First time in history, brother versus brother in the Super Bowl. So obviously their mother will be a big topic of conversation this week. What do you do? I only have one child. but There's many of you out there that have two or more children. What would you do if you were the Kelsey family this week? with Travis on one side, Jason on the other. Both have already experienced being Super Bowl champions. Boy, that's a tough spot. Interesting subplot going in to this weekend's game. Then you got Patrick Mahomes against Jalen Hurts. Patrick Mahomes trying to be a two-time Super Bowl winner, which at 27 years of age, if he pulls that off, will almost assuredly put him one day in Canton, Ohio, if he's not there already, taking on Jalen Hurts, a guy that back in September, I think even Eagle fans would tell you they were not completely sold on. But Jalen Hurts has been nothing short of outstanding this year. And Jalen Hurts is one win away on Sunday from his life changing forever as a Super Bowl champion. So, a lot of great subplots, a lot of great storylines. We will talk a lot of Super Bowl this week here on Hacker After Dark. Again, the Chiefs and the Eagles right now, don't hold me to it, but right now I am a Denmark, I guess I'm a Kansas City lean right now. Um, But, well, the Chiefs got some injury problems, man. Chiefs have some injury problems. McCall Hardman was ruled out today, was actually placed on IR. Kadarius Tony didn't practice all last week. They have some issues, but despite that, I'm still leaning Kansas City. But I'll tell you, Denmark, Philadelphia, man, they look very, very good. What are your early thoughts on the game?
3: Uh, I lean slight Philly just because of the the injuries of Kansas City, and and you know, you always say or we always say that you know the the best defense for Philly that when you're playing Patrick Mahomes is keeping an offense to run the ball and uh, Jalen Hurts and that entire offense does that and and they play physical so I think a slight lean Philly but I could go back and forth all week on the two I, I, I haven't swayed completely one way or the other I'll
1: tell you talking to folks out in Kansas City today and we'll bring you those conversations and more later in the week they are not impressed with Philadelphia's wins over the last couple of weeks because they haven't played anything like Kansas City's played. Kansas City went through one of the hottest teams in the league, your Jacksonville Jaguars, and then they went through the hottest team in the league and Joe Burrow in Cincinnati, whereas Philadelphia played a giant team that I don't know what that was in the divisional round and played a San Francisco team that couldn't functionally throw the football 10 yards down the field once Brock Purdy and Josh Johnson got hurt.
3: Yeah, I think that's a little overblown. I, I mean, th- I understand it, but I think it's a little overblown. Yeah,
1: no, I, I I, think there's merit to it. I mean, look, if you're Kansas City, you had to beat Trevor, you had to beat Burrow, you had to beat Herbert in the regular season. Now, I understand Philly's had some great wins, but Philly has played a lot of teams that aren't very good and don't have very good quarterback play. We'll see. We'll see. Um, is the reason Philadelphia has so many sacks because they got to play the likes of Daniel Jones and Taylor Heineke and guys like that. I don't see Mahomes getting sacked all that much on Sunday. He's going to get the ball out pretty quick. We'll see how the ankle holds up, but it's a good conversation and one we will continue to have all week here on Hacker After Dark as we get you ready for the game. Some Jaguar news. I thought this was interesting. You guys have probably seen some of this conversation by now on social media, but if you have not, Jaguar wide receiver Christian Kirk was on with Kay Adams. Denmark, you were telling me earlier how big a fan you are of uh, K. Adams. Indeed. Yeah, Denmark, uh, Denmark she, really likes Kay Adams. She work. puts out
3: good content on FanDuel.
1: Yeah, she does. Look, there's no question. Up and Adams, I believe, is what she's called that show. It is. Since she left the NFL Network. Christian Kirk was on Up and Adams with Kay Adams. And boy, you know, I thought there would be a chip on his shoulder last year because of everybody, and I do mean everybody, saying, what are you doing paying Christian Kirk that much money? That's a ridiculous contract. The Jaguars are stupid. Kirk is not worth all that. Yet I thought Christian Kirk came in here and held himself um, unbelievably well under those high standards. Christian Kirk was a top 15, borderline top 10 receiver in this league. We'll go over the numbers in a moment. So I thought maybe he had already proved to the naysayers that he was worth that contract. No, 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 no. You listen to Christian Kirk today on Up and Adams with Kay Adams out there in Arizona. He has a lot more to prove, and he still feels very underappreciated in league circles.
2: I still feel like I don't get the respect that I deserve,
0: and it's kind of been that way, and you know, with all the noise and after I signed my deal this offseason, it was, you know, it was the loudest. And then now, you know, especially with the season that I
4: had, you know, started getting real quiet and everybody kind of, you know, kind of hushed a little bit. But I just, uh, I want my respect. You know, I feel like I'm one of the, the best receivers
0: in the NFL and that's the way I play. That's the chip that I carry on my shoulder and um,
4: I'm, I'm going to keep earning it.
1: Yeah, look, all right, and again, some of you know this about me. I'm a fantasy football nerd, admittedly. I might be too much of a numbers guy, but let me go over some numbers here. Christian Kirk's 84 catches this year is as many catches as Seattle's Tyler Lockett, is more catches than Brandon Ayuk of the 49ers, more catches than Amari Cooper of the Cleveland Browns, more catches than Mike Evans had in Tampa, than Terry McLaurin had in Washington, than Jalen Waddell had in Miami, and that Adam Thielen had in Minnesota. I just can name you some pretty decent wide receivers, right? That Kirk had more catches then. When you look at yardage, Christian Kirk, his 84 catches were good for 1,108 yards. Christian Kirk had more receiving yardage than D.K. Metcalf, more receiving yardage than Jamar Chase, more receding yardage than Tyler Lockett, T. Higgins, Chris Godwin, Brandon Ayuk, and Michael Pittman of the Indianapolis Colts. And you want to talk touchdowns. Does he get to the pay dirt? Christian Kirk had eight touchdowns this year, his 84 catches for 1,108 yards. Kirk's eight touchdowns, is more than T. Higgins, than Tyreek Hill, than Devonta Smith, than Mike Evans, and tight end T.J. Hawkinson. His eight touchdowns are as many as Brandon Ayuk, Justin Jefferson, and Jalen Waddle. So if you take catches, yardage, and touchdowns, Christian Kirk is among the top 10 or 15 wide receivers in football. The fact that he still has a chip on his shoulder, the fact that he still holds a grudge, perfect. I got no problem with that, Christian. Feel underappreciated and go out there and do exactly what you did this season. Do it in 2023 and you're going to be all right. Again, 84 grabs, 1,108 yards and eight touchdowns. Christian Kirk, statistically speaking, is absolutely among the top 15, if not the top 10, wide receivers in the National Football League. Is he talked about like that? Is he treated like that, particularly from the officials? No, he probably isn't. So from a number standpoint, I don't blame Christian Kirk for thinking that, for uh, using that as a trip on his shoulder. Hey, whatever you want to do, man. To get yourself motivated. And how will Calvin Ridley's uh, appearance affect Christian Kirk? I think that's going to be fascinating. You know, if Calvin Ridley is 80% of the receiver he was when we last saw him in October of 2021, now teams can't roll coverage to Christian Kirk and Zay Jones. Teams are going to have to account for Calvin Ridley, which, believe it or not, is going to give more of an opportunity to the likes of Zay Jones and Christian Kirk to do more down the field. And man, if you re-sign Evan Ingram and you go out there on opening day in a three-wide receiver set with Calvin Ridley, Christian Kirk, Zay Jones, Evan Ingram, and Travis Etienne with Trevor Lawrence throwing them the football, dude, sign me up for that, man. Sign me up for that every day of the week. By the way, Watched the Pro Bowl, the revamped, reignited Pro Bowl games. Enjoyed the water balloon toss immensely. Had a lot of fun with dodgeball.
3: Did you want to break down the flag football game?
1: Uh, Yeah, uh, the one thing I will break down, Denmark, is Trevor Lawrence had the prettiest pass out there. That touchdown to Stephon Diggs was a crazy good throw.
3: Yeah, he had uh, to, not retaliate, he had to, After he threw his pick six, he had to come back with that. Yeah,
1: the pick six was what it was. It's flag football. But that 40-yard bomb to Stephon Diggs, beautiful. Just absolutely beautiful. Of course, the highlight for me over the weekend was twofold. Number one in the flag football game, Jalen Ramsey decides to absolutely level Tyreek Hill and get a 15-yard unsportsmanlike penalty in a flag football game. Jalen Ramsey and I actually have that in common. Denmark, you're a little too young for this, but there was a flag football tournament that used to make the rounds to all the NFL cities. It was called uh, Let It Fly, I believe. And, um, you know, me and actually Tony Smith of Jaguars Today was on my team like 20 years ago and uh, some other buddies. And this guy was going to catch a touchdown on us. I mean, it was going to happen. So I basically tackled the guy. And the referee did give me a personal foul for tackling the guy. So that does happen. So I can say that Jalen Ramsey and I do have something in common. We both got personal foul penalties in games of flag football. Uh, Jalen was obviously seen by a lot more than my game was 20 years ago in the Let It Fly tournament. I think it might have been called Air It Out. Somebody will know that's my age. Was it Air It Out or was it Let It Fly? There
3: is a Let It Fly on the, uh, the World Wide Web, I see. Yeah,
1: I think, it was, I think it was at one time called Air It Out, and then they changed it to Let It Fly, and we got the absolute crap beat out of us. We were in the couch potato division, and we were playing this team that are like two players from South Florida and two guys that played like minor league football up north, and they just beat us to death. Uh, but it was a, a great moment in my uh, athletic career tackling a guy so he could not get a touchdown. So there was that, and then also in the revamp Pro Bowl games, Miles Garrett breaks his toe in the obstacle course. They've literally stopped playing tackle football to avoid guys getting hurt, but then they're going to have 280-pound linemen jump over barriers and through all this different stuff, and in doing so, Miles Garrett breaks his toe and had to exit the obstacle course. So the NFL might want to rethink the obstacle course going in to next year. 641-1010 is the phone number. If you want to get involved on the phone line or on the text line designed by Lifetime Enclosures, you are more than welcome to do so. Super Bowl 57, Philadelphia, Kansas City on Sunday. Let's talk to a man that has been a part of three Super Bowl winning coaching staffs. He's got three rings on his fingers and they are really, really impressive. My friend Dave Campo Former head coach of the Dallas Cowboys. A little Monday night coaching with Campo. Super Bowl preview style. That's next. Hacker After Dark on a Monday. It's 1010XL 10, 10 92.5 FM in Jacksonville. We are glad you are with us. No.
0: <laughs> Another interview on the Farrah & Farrah phone line. Brought to you by the accident attorneys at Farrah
2: & Farrah.
1: Back here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM in the city of Jacksonville. We are glad you are with us. Super Bowl 57 on Sunday. The Kansas City Chiefs, the Philadelphia Eagles. Let's talk to a man that knows all about playing and coaching in Super Bowls. He's got three Super Bowl rings on his finger from his time with the Dallas Cowboys. Former head coach of the Dallas Cowboys, my friend Dave Campo. Coach, how we doing? I'm good, Hack. How are
2: you doing this morning?
1: Coach, we are wonderful, and I know it brings back all sorts of memories for you when you hear the term Super Bowl week. What comes to your mind?
2: Uh just a very exciting. You know, we we go to the venue. You know, the first week with the two weeks in between, you stay back at home, and then you go to. You know, they've gone to Arizona. Uh, that in itself kind of exciting because you know at the end of the week it's going to be really something special with. I don't know how many, it used to be 90 million when I was, uh, you know, coaching in it. It's probably 150 million now people watching the game. So it's, it's kind of exciting uh, seeing the venue for the, for the first time uh, with the media people on the field the day before the game. Those are all exciting things during the week. You've got uh, media time where you sit at tables and they come around and talk to you. So The whole thing is exciting, and and, uh, for these guys, it's a a tremendous – I mean, that's what they work for uh, every year that they're in the league.
1: Coach, you look at it from the Kansas City point of view. This has been there, done that for about 80% of their roster, including Andy Reid, who's obviously coached, I believe now, this will be his fourth Super Bowl overall, whereas Philadelphia, they have a couple of guys left over from 2017, but not very many – Clearly, experience in the Super Bowl is on the side of Kansas City. Does that matter at all? Come kickoff on Sunday,
2: I, I don't think so. I, you know, I, these guys, uh, you know, are professionals, and you know, obviously, that first year we went to the Super Bowl uh, in '92. You know, we were the team that didn't uh, have the experience against Buffalo, and and you know what that score was, you know, out of sight. So. You know, it's it's another ball game for the guys with, with the exception of the fact that there's a lot of people watching.
1: Head coach Dave Campo, Monday night coaching with Campo here on Hacker After Dark. Coach, you competed against Andy Reid. He spent 14 years in Philadelphia, now 10 years in Kansas City. Uh, my goodness, if he wins another Super Bowl, you have to have a real conversation as to where he sits among the greatest coaches of all time if he's not there already just speak to Andy Reid and the job he's done in Kansas City. Again, ten years, and this is now going to be their third Super Bowl appearance.
2: Well, you know that is probably unprecedented. Uh, to be honest with you, with with what he's done in two different programs, and you know, coaching against him You know, I, I know Andy very well. I've I uh, spent time with him uh, outside of football. Uh, he's a he's a tremendous leader. He's a guy that trusts his people. You know, it kind of reminds me some of Jimmy Johnson from the standpoint that the one thing Jimmy had, which was uh, unique, was that he he trusted the people that were around him. And I think Andy's that same kind of guy. You know, there's no question he's a hall of fame coach and coaching against him. You know, he, he was very innovative. You know, the, his offense has been innovative. He's, he has a knack for calling things uh, when when it's really critical and and I think that's what maybe separates him. You know, you look at the statistics in the ball game, one of the ones that sticks out to me more than anything else is they are 75% on fourth down. And to me that's uh, you know as much uh, play calling as it is the quarterback in that situation and I think that's what separates Andy he can make calls when it's uh, when the when the pressure's on, uh, and and to to boot beyond that, he is he's a great guy, and uh, you know he's he's a guy that you you really would emulate as a young young coach or a young person, player or whatever.
1: You know we talk about all the young guns at quarterback in the AFC: Justin Herbert, Trevor Lawrence, Josh Allen, Joe Burrow. And yet here we are for the third time in four years. It's the elder statesman at 27 years old, Patrick Mahomes. He beat Josh Allen in the playoffs last year. He beat Justin Herbert in the regular season this year. And then, of course, he beat Trevor Lawrence and Joe Burrow in the playoffs this past, um, I guess, in the last couple of weeks. So for all the young guns, and I agree, they're coming. There's no question. Still at the end of the day, Coach, it's Patrick Mahomes' conference right now.
2: Yeah, it's going to come through Patrick Mahomes and the Kansas City Chiefs. And and if they continue to to do well drafting, which they have done a a great job of drafting over the years, that's one of Andy's strengths, I think, in evaluating talent. And, you know, you don't get to that many Super Bowls unless you're turning over your roster a little bit in, in places that you need to turn it over. And, you know, he's done a great job with that. But Mahomes is just a special guy uh, from a competitive standpoint he he i think is the uh, you know that's funny to say that he's the older statesman at 27 you know he could be another brady although he probably gets hit a little bit more than brady did you know but that's because he can run he can do, do some of those kind of things but he's a he's definitely the number 1 guy in the AFC and and it'll come through him as long as they have the talent around it. Coach,
1: final thought on Kansas City. You're a defensive guy. That's how you buttered your bread during a majority of your career, both as a coordinator, secondary coach, ultimately to the head coaching ranks there in Dallas. Steve Spagnuolo, the Chiefs defensive coordinator, uh, maybe doesn't get the credit that he's probably due. Everybody talks about Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes and with good reason. But, boy, that Kansas City defense against Trevor Lawrence – and against Joe Burrow this postseason has come up very, very big.
2: Yeah, you know, I think Steve's a really good coach. And, uh, you know, Andy, he's been with Andy, but he was in the NFC East with the Giants and a few other places. Uh, I know Steve well. And he is definitely uh, a, a, a excellent uh, game planner. Uh, he's not a big blitzer, but what he has to, he can bring him. And he will bring him. You know, he's not afraid to do that. Uh, That's one thing that, uh, you know, and they've been fortunate because they have really two pretty good corners uh, to be able to to play man coverage when they when they want to or play zone or whatever. I think McDuffie and Snead are are both really good, good players. Uh, So, you know, again, some of it comes down to the fact that they've got good players over there that can run. Uh, they remind me a little bit of us from the standpoint back in the day with Dallas that they they have guys that can run, uh, and speed kills, you know, and that's one of the things that he's he's been able to put together. And you know, when you talk about evaluation, it's not only the head coach, it's the scouts, but it's also the coordinators that know how to fit their defense. And I think they've done a pretty good job with that. And and, and I think Spagnola, you know, deserves a lot of credit uh, in in where they sit.
1: Our head coach here on Hacker After Dark, Dave Campo. He's with us here on 1010XL in Jacksonville. Coach to the Philadelphia Eagles. I don't know if you saw this last week. Giant safety Julian Love was on the NFL Network. And boy, kind of fired a shot at Eagle head coach Nick Sirianni. Basically saying he's getting a quote free ride that a lot of guys could coach this team with the talent that they have. And the results would be the same. Now, a lot of people have come out and defended Sirianni. That's probably just sour grapes from a giant player who lost to Philadelphia three times this year. But but what is your thought on Nick Sirianni and the job he's done there in Philadelphia?
2: Uh, I think it's fantastic. I, and and uh, if you remember back in the day, a guy by the name of Jerry Jones said 500 guys could coach the Dallas Cowboys. And, <laughs> That didn't turn out so well either over the course of time, including a Hall of Fame coach in Bill Parcells. So, you know, I think that's a little bit of sour grapes. I think Sirianni, the interesting thing is that we think Doug Peterson is going to be a a great one here in Dallas, which, uh, excuse me, in uh, Jacksonville, which I think he will be. And they all come from the same tree. You know, and uh, I think that Sirianni's uh, out of the mold of, of Andy Reid in a lot of ways. Uh, I think uh, Sirianni is probably a little tougher than than uh, than Andy, but in my mind, it, it still comes down to the draft and what they've done in the draft. And and obviously, he's a pretty good evaluator because he's put that team together. I thought another thing about Sirianni that I really liked. Was you know people were getting after uh, Gannon, the defensive coordinator, a little bit, and he came right out and he wasn't afraid to go in the media and say, "You guys are, are smoking hubbly bubbly. This guy's one of, <laughs> this guy's one of the best defensive coaches in the league." And and you know some of that is players, but at the same time, uh, you know you can't you can't uh, question what they've done on defense as well. So. You know, I think sour grapes is big. I can't believe a guy would come out and say that when he got their butt kicked three times. But, you know, that's – some guys are willing to go in the media and say what they think.
1: Coach, there were real questions if Jalen Hurts was going to be the guy in Philadelphia as recently as the start of this season. And aside from a couple of games being injured, he has been nothing short of spectacular. Why has Jalen Hurts been able to be so good in the NFL?
2: Well, I think it's because he's a combination guy, you know, to me, uh, you know, he's, he's proven that he can be accurate throwing the football, but Cincinnati, uh, excuse me, uh, Philadelphia uses the, the uh, premise of run first, pass second. And part of that run first is him. You know, he's got over 700 yards rushing for a quarterback. And that's huge because you put pressure on the defense by doing that. And, you know, he hasn't turned the ball over his, his, uh, his touchdown to, to interception ratio, I think is like 33 to six, you know, that's one of the better ones in the league. So, you know, he's, he's protected the ball. He can do more than just throw the football. Uh, He's got an arm that can get him down the field with a, with a, you know, a, a group of receivers that are, are pretty good down the field and and that's what makes him good and I think he's a competitor you know both those guys from are from Texas and products of Texas high school football and you know there is something to that because I think the the, the players out of coming out of Texas are pretty good uh, football guys because there's a lot of great coaches and it's big for those guys coming out of Texas
1: couple of more for former Cowboy head coach Dave Campo coach on the defensive side of the ball for Philadelphia I mean what do you say about their front four. I think all four of their starters had double-digit sacks this year. Hassan Reddick has just been a nightmare for opposing offenses. 19 and a half sacks, including the postseason. 78 sacks, I believe, is the number overall for that team this year. I mean, if you're Kansas City and you're game planning, well, what do you tell your offensive line? Because no one's been able to stop Philadelphia's front
2: four. Well, you better buckle it up. Because you're talking about Reddick, you're talking about Graham, you're talking about Hargrave, you're talking about Sweat. As a matter of fact, I think Graham is available and Hargrave is available. I'd like to have us get one of those guys. (laughs) Uh, You know, but you know I was a big proponent back in the uh, draft when uh, uh, talking about free agency on Reddick. You know, I've seen Reddick from the time he was just a young player. And that guy is a, uh, you know, he's so athletic. And so quick, uh, you know, they put pressure on you with that whole group. Uh, you know, even Cox had seven uh, sacks. So and he's, a, you know, another defensive tackle. So they can put pressure on you. This is going to be very, very interesting because I think Mahomes is going to be forced to create with that group. And he's pretty good at it. You know, I don't think he's going to be able to sit in the pocket. And the problem that they're facing is the fact that, you know, he's a little banged up. So, you know, I think the difference in these two if, – if Kansas City's healthy, I really think it's going to be a great ball game because of Mahomes' ability to create. But if there's a difference between the two teams, it's that right there. It's turnovers with Philadelphia on defense and their pass rush that I think separates the two teams.
1: You might have just answered my question, but I'll go ahead and ask. I know it's early in the week. We won't hold you to it but a Monday night prediction, if you will, you're leaning Philadelphia right now?
2: Yeah, I'm leaning Philadelphia for a couple of reasons. I think, number one, what I just said, I think defensively they have an edge. Even though statistics are fairly close, you know, I think that the, their ability to pressure and rush the passer is going to be a big part of the ball ballgame. Uh, and, and with the banged up receivers, you don't know where they're going to sit, uh, you know, come the end of the week. Luckily, they've had two weeks, and I think that's definitely a a plus. Uh, I'm just leaning towards Philadelphia for that reason, plus the fact, you know, deep down inside my background is the NFC East, and the NFC East has always been a physical, tough, aggressive type of a league, and uh, the AFC, in my mind, has always been a finesse type of a a, of a a league and I lean towards the tough aggressive and I think the defense is going to make the difference in the end
1: final moments here with head coach Dave Campo coach I just realized I haven't talked to you since Tom Brady announced his retirement early last week I'm sure you competed many times against Tom Brady you being a defensive guy as you are can you just speak to what Tom Brady, if this is indeed it, and it does appear that it is, he said it's for real and there's no reason to not believe him. What has he meant to the league? And, and what? How, how would you summarize Tom Brady as a guy that competed against him?
2: Well, first of all, I wasn't that successful against him a number of times <laughs> that we went against him. I did hold him down a little bit though, if you look back over the, over the time, but uh, you know, the guy's special and, you know, I mean, just by the fact that he's gone for as long as he has. Uh, I, I think there's a couple of things there. First of all, that shows how subjective the draft can be. Because, you know, when that guy goes in the sixth round, uh, you know, that that's a, a, a pretty uh, bad draft, if you ask me. But uh, the other thing is, you know, I, I'm a firm believer that a head coach, as far as organization is concerned, is big. But it's who you have on that field that makes you special. And that he made Bill Belichick special. Because when you look back at what he did in, in Cleveland and then what he did when he went to, to New England, there's only one common denominator. Brady wasn't in Cleveland. So you know when you have a guy like that that can go from there and then go to Kansas uh, go to uh, Tampa Bay uh, it just shows how great the guy is and you know he's he, he's been a, a polarizing guy in the NFL because when you look back, half the people in the country love him half the people in the country hate him because he did so well bringing uh, New England to so many Super Bowls and th- those are the kind of guys that make the big difference and he's a first, First uh, go-round Hall of Famer, no question about it.
1: It was an amazing, amazing run, a run we'll probably never see again. Seven Super Bowl rings, ten Super Bowl appearances for Tom Brady. Absolutely spectacular. Dave Campo is also spectacular with us every week here on Hacker After Dark. Coach, enjoy Super Bowl 57. Always appreciate your perspective Let's recap the Super Bowl next week and take one final look at the Jaguars off season and then we'll give you a little R and R for about a month. How about that?
2: Well, thanks a lot. And and you know I enjoy being with you. And uh, you know, the Super Bowl week is always, as you said, a big time for me. Even my dog Tiki Barber's in here already looking at the T V, trying to get ready the, getting ready for the Super Bowl. So Uh, I appreciate you, and uh, thank you very much for having me on, and you enjoy it as well. I'll talk to you next week.
1: There you go, our head coach here on Hacker After Dark, Dave Campo. I've met his dog, Tiki Barber. He's a really uh, cute dog. There is no question about that. Philadelphia and Kansas City will certainly do more on the Super Bowl coming up both later tonight and certainly later in the week here on Hacker After dark. Coming up next, I want to get into Trevor Lawrence a little bit, what he did over the weekend at the Pro Bowl, and ESPN.com put out a pretty interesting thing. The value that each quarterback gave their organization this year. There are four different tiers. What kind of value? Who produced for their organization and who did not? You're not going to be surprised where Trevor Lawrence is. In the grand scheme of things. It is a Monday night edition of Hacker After Dark with Dylan Denmark. The Hacker Ryan Green with you. Jacksonville, we're glad you're with us. As always, we are streaming for your viewing pleasure. If you want to watch the show, you are more than welcome to do so on YouTube. Just go to 1010XL on YouTube. You'll see the show streaming there till 10 o'clock tonight. Likewise, on Twitter, at 1010XL on Twitter, you'll see the show there until 10 o'clock this evening. More to do. Glad you're with us. Trevor Lawrence talk next on Hacker After Dark.
0: Hacker After Dark on 1010XL.
1: Oh, yeah. Super Bowl week. There's a pro and a con to that, right? Super Bowl Sunday, one of the biggest days of the year. It's the final football game. But fret not. You got the XFL coming right around the corner. You got NASCAR. You got the USFL right around the corner. Yeah, you got NASCAR. That's true. I watched whatever that thing was last night in the Coliseum. Look, I'm all for trying new things. Yeah, that ain't it. Trust me, Denmark, as you get older, you really appreciate trying new things.
3: (laughs) But in the world of NASCAR,
1: I don't need 27 cars going around the L.A. Coliseum. It's just too small. Again, there's a joke there somewhere, but I'll let that alone. It's just simply too small for 27 cars. But the XFL, the USFL, but this is the final NFL game for about seven months. But there is NFL news every single day, and we will certainly bring that to you here on a nightly basis on Hacker After Dark. The value that the Jaguars got for Trevor Lawrence this year is unbelievable. Now, a lot of that, is because he's on his rookie deal. But if you take Trevor's contract, you compare that with other contracts and how said quarterbacks produced, Trevor is among the best in the game. The Jaguars, according to this list, and the list is a lot of analytics, a lot of decimal points, but I do understand the point of it. Like Patrick Mahomes is making $50 million a year, right? Right? Trevor's on a rookie contract, and both were in the final four of the AFC. Josh Allen is making buku dollars. Trevor Lawrence is making pennies compared to Josh Allen, and both guys made it to the divisional round of the postseason. You can say the same thing for Joe Burrow. He's still on his rookie contract, although not for long. Burrow is about to get paid In Cincinnati, Justin Herbert about to get paid in Los Angeles. Jalen Hurts about to get paid in Philadelphia. And that's an interesting question too. Take those three guys, particularly if Hurts wins the Super Bowl on Sunday. How do those three contracts work themselves out? Who gets the most money out of those three? You would think Jalen Hurts wouldn't, but if he's a Super Bowl winner? And then, of course, you got Joe Burrow and Justin Herbert. And those three contracts need to be paid attention to by Jaguar fans. Because whatever, particularly what Burrow and Herbert get, because they're in the same conference and are only a year older than Trevor, Trevor and his agent might want that and then some next offseason when he's eligible to get a new deal. So a lot of money. A lot of money will be flowing in the National Football League, particularly in the American Football Conference in the very near future. Boy, what a career for A.J. Green. A.J. Green announces his retirement from the National Football League today. A.J. Green back with the University of Georgia. You just knew, right? You knew if you watched him long enough at Georgia. You knew how special he was. You knew how athletic he was. And maybe you didn't know he would have the Hall of Fame career that he had in the NFL or the likely Hall of Fame career, but you knew he was going to do some special things. A.J. Green, over his career in the National Football League that spanned 11 years, finishes with 727 catches for 10,514 yards and 70 touchdowns. And those numbers could have been so much better if not for injuries. First part of his career was great. But in 2018, nine games. 2021, he only started nine games. This year, he only started 10 games as age got the better of him. Injuries got the better of him. But still, a 10,000-yard career for A.J. Green. Don't know if he's the first ballot guy. Don't know if he'll get in, but he will be in the conversation. There is no question about that. Congrats to A.J. Green. Again, 70 touchdowns, over 10,000 yards, 727 catches for his NFL career. A couple of things that struck me today as well. The Chiefs have activated Clyde Edwards Hilaire and have put McColl Hardman on injured reserve. Hardman will not play in Super Bowl 57. So the Chiefs will be down one of their wide receivers. You see the news on Tom Brady? He uh, said today on the Colin Cowherd program that he will indeed be going to Fox Sports and he will indeed join their NFL team. This is what caught people off guard. In the fall of 2024. Wait a minute. The fall of 2024... What is Tom Brady going to do in 2023? I guess take it easy, right? Follow the Eagles uh, mantra. He's going to take it easy a little bit, I guess. A little R&R.
3: He's got to find a new wife.
1: Yeah, that too. He, I'm sure. I think he already has a girlfriend. He to does, it.
3: according to Instagram.
1: But um, the question with Tom Brady is, does that leave the door cracked at all for a return in 2023? I doubt it. I just thought it was kind of odd <clears throat> that... Yeah, I'm going to start with Fox. Looking forward to it. In the fall of 2024, 19 months from now, I'm going to begin at Fox Sports. All right. We'll see what happens over the next calendar year. A couple of other NFL tidbits that really stood out today. Boy, I don't know what Arizona's doing. February 6th, they don't have a head coach. They're lining up second interviews, including with Brian Flores, the former coach, of the Miami Dolphins, who I think absolutely deserves another shot. I really liked Brian Flores in Miami. Thought he got a raw deal. But Arizona, you wonder how good a job that is. Kyler Murray coming off an ACL. J.J. Watt, A.J. Green retiring. There's talk of trading DeAndre Hopkins. They got problems in Arizona. Whoever takes that job, that looks like a pretty good rebuild going on right now. Absolutely no question about that. And finally, it is mock draft time, and we're going to start lining up our draft guys. We'll have a couple of this week. Again, we're late to the party here in Jacksonville. Normally, by February 6th, we're two and a half months in to draft talk. We're having to catch up a little bit with some draft talk, some draft conversation. But on ESPN.com earlier today, one of their draft guys, Matt Miller, who we've had on several times, here on 1010XL over the years, releases his two-round mock draft. I will tell you that his top five, Bryce Young to Indianapolis, who trades up, Will Levis to Houston. How about that? If Indianapolis trades up, you got half of the AFC South picking one and two, and both taking rookie quarterbacks, and both will have first-year head coaches. The AFC South outside of Jacksonville Appears to be a dumpster fire. Number three, Will Anderson to Arizona. Jalen Carter, four to Chicago. Tyree Wilson, the defensive end out of Texas Tech, goes number five to Seattle. I'm scrolling here. CJ Stroud, nine to Carolina. That's kind of interesting. I'm looking for one Anthony Richardson. And I'm scrolling for Anthony Richardson. I stop at number 16. The Washington Commanders is who Matt Miller has Anthony Richardson going to at the midway point of the first round. You go down to Jacksonville, number 24, Darnell Wright, the big offensive tackle out of Tennessee. I remember talking to Darnell Wright during the recruiting process back when I covered recruiting for Gridiron Now. So Darnell Wright, the tackle from Tennessee in round one in this mock draft to Jacksonville. Round two, just for your information, Um, Rasheed Rice, wide receiver, SMU. Denmark, give me some info on Rasheed Rice, wide receiver, SMU.
3: Um, he's probably fast. Yeah. Probably got some good hands.
1: I think he's a student of the game.
3: Student of the game. I think he works hard in the weight room. He's probably got good character.
1: I think he has what it takes to perform at the next level. Yep. I don't know a whole lot about Rice, the wide receiver from SMU, but get back to me on that. I'll do a little research in the next couple of days. But it's mock draft season. If they're out there, we'll bring them to you nightly here on Hacker After Dark. Speaking of mock drafts, NFL talk. One of my favorites. Some people love him on social media. Some people don't really care for him on social media. But the one thing about Chad Forbes is he speaks his mind. He's not going to sugarcoat a whole lot. And he's been doing it for years. You can follow him on Twitter at NFL Draft Bites. We'll talk Jacksonville. We'll talk the offseason, and we'll look ahead to Super Bowl 57. That's next. Hacker After Dark on a Monday in Jacksonville, Florida. We are glad you are with us.
0: Now. Yeah. Another interview on the Farrah and Farrah phone line. Brought to you by the accident
2: attorneys at Farrah and Farrah.
1: Back here on 1010XL at 92.5 FM in the city of Jacksonville. We are glad you are with us. It is Super Bowl week, the Chiefs and the Eagles. This Sunday, of course, right after the Super Bowl, all eyes turn to the scouting combine to free agency as that NFL wheel never stops turning. Let's talk to a man that I always enjoy having on here on 1010XL in Jacksonville. His name is Chad Forbes. You can follow him on Twitter at NFL Draft Bites, and he is always kind enough to join us. Chad, it's been a little bit, man. How are you?
0: Hey, what a season for the Jaguars in the first year under Doug Peterson, and Trevor Lawrence finally looks like the savior of the franchise once again. It's got to be a good time to be a Jags fan, and The first offseason they enter where they don't have a ton of cap space and they've got a lot of good players, and that's a great position to be in.
1: Chad, I I always tell you this, man. I love having you on because you don't sugarcoat a whole lot. You pretty much say what's on your mind on social media, and some people love you for it. Some people hate you for it, but I guess that's the way – you know the world works. Uh, boy, the Jaguars, what a turnaround. You mentioned Trevor Lawrence and Doug Peterson, good times ahead. And you got to give credit to general manager Trenton balky for what he did one off season ago, bringing in all that talent that produced so well.
0: Right. They spent a lot of money and they nailed those guys. And, you know, they paid some, some people said they overpaid for guys like Christian Kirk, but what a season he had And Zay Jones. They've got a great wide receiving core and Now they've got Ridley coming back, that's really exciting. And it's going to be interesting to see what they do to kind of create more cap space to be a little bit aggressive in free agency. But I think you're just going to see a pretty quiet offseason, actually, for the first time in a while.
1: Yeah, I think so, too. I guess the big question around here, Jawan Taylor, Evan Ingram, maybe a little bit Arden Key, those are the three big free agents. They're going to have to maneuver some cap space to get under the cap. But how vital, Chad, do you think those three guys are, Key, Ingram, and certainly Jawan Taylor into re-signing this offseason?
0: You know, Jawan Taylor's going to have a really big mark as a 25-year-old player who just played his best football. Don't see him coming back after they paid Cam Robinson and Walker Little. Looks like he'll slide in there at right tackle. Evan Ingram, I think that he'll be back. Uh, the question is going to be price. I don't see them using a franchise or transition tender on him, but it's a really deep group in the draft, a tight end, and there's a couple free agents that are very good, so I don't see his price being prohibitive in terms of them bringing him back, and he was a big part of that offense. He really found a home in Jacksonville, which he struggled to do with the Giants. And then Arden Key, you know, young pass rusher. He's bounced around the league a little bit. Sometimes the numbers they get can really shock you. I can see him getting $12, $13 million a year, and that might require a decision between keeping Arden Key and cutting a guy like Ward Robertson Harris, who has one year left on his deal. So those are the kind of decisions they're going to have to go through. And uh, ideally, I think they bring back uh, Evan Ingram. The other two probably walk.
1: You can uh, follow Chad Forbes on Twitter, at NFL Draft Bites. He's always kind enough to join us here on 1010XL in Jacksonville. Chad, your thoughts on Trayvon Walker and Devin Lloyd, their rookie seasons?
0: Not ideal. Trayvon Walker showed some flashes. I don't, I don't think anybody thought he was just going to jump into the league and it was going to be, you know, the light was going to go on right away. He's a 21-year-old player, which is young. And ideally, this first offseason is going to be huge for him and Devin Lloyd to take that next step. I actually saw Chad Muma at times played a little better than Devin Lloyd. So but that doesn't you know, indicate that they're not going to have great careers. It's just their rookie season. And, uh, you know, hopefully you'll get a little bit of a bounce back in year two. And you got to trust the coaching staff to get the best out of them.
1: You know, I look at some of the young guys that maybe don't get enough press coverage here in Jacksonville, whether it's Andre Sisco, uh, Tyson Campbell. You mentioned Chad Muma on the offensive side of the ball. Luke Fortner is a rookie to come in and start every game. At center, 19 starts for Luke Fortner. His rookie year really goes to show you free agency, the draft, everything they've done really over the last two off seasons is why they were able to have such a turnaround here in 2022.
0: Yeah, I agree with you, and I, I say with Cisco, don't trust the PFF numbers. He's a good player, and Tyson Campbell might be the best corner league nobody talks about. And then Fortner, he just looks like he's going to provide stability for four years on that rookie contract. I'm not telling he's going to go to Pro Bowls, but he looks like he's going to be a solid center as he gets a little bit stronger in his core in the offseason. And I thought Brandon Scherf just did a great job in there with him. It was uh, kind of that veteran group of Scherf and Shatley surrounding Fortner definitely helped in his development. And the offensive line looks like it's going to be a strength going forward.
1: Chad, I want to get into the Super Bowl with you. Maybe a couple of the head coaching hires as well. But final, final Jaguar thought. You look at the AFC South, all right? Indianapolis, as we're talking right now on February 6th, they still don't have a head coach. Houston hires D'Amico Ryans, but clearly they're in the middle of a rebuild. And Tennessee, who really knows, they just brought in a new GM in Rand Carthon, but he's never worked with Mike Vrabel. So you don't know how that relationship's going to be. Boy, on paper, it looks like Jacksonville's set up here in this division for quite some time to be in very good shape.
0: Right, and you nailed the analysis on the three other teams. What I'd say is it looks like the Titans' window is starting to close a little bit just as the Jaguars' window is opening and. If you can get a four- or five-year stretch where you win a division, you get into the playoffs, you never get in that first year and win the Super Bowl. It's about getting in four or five years in a row and then going on the run. And in this Trevor lawrence rookie contract, I think they've got a real chance to win one and really become one of the big boys in the AFC.
1: It's not as easy to talk about what the Jaguars are going to do in round one, and we'll certainly have you on before the draft in late April when you're picking in the mid-20s as opposed to picking in the top 10 which where Jacksonville seemingly always has picked. But if you were Trent balky what do you think they need to address? What's their biggest need position-wise going into this draft?
0: If they get Ridley back with the current wide receiving core they have and Ingram, then you really don't have to look at a pass catcher. And just looking at these AFC teams, they all have just dudes on the defensive line. And I like Trayvon Walker, but I'd be looking at another defensive lineman if he gets there. And then if you could find a I mean, Brian Branch somehow made it there and you could pair him with Cisco. That'd be pretty fun. So there's going to be a good player there at 24. And uh, as you said, you really can't project this far out who that might be.
1: Chad Forbes at NFL Draft Bites on Twitter. All right, Chad, Kansas City and Philadelphia. Boy, what do you say about Andy Reid? 24 years as a head coach, 14 in Philly, now 10 in Kansas City. And the dude is just unbelievable. He's going to his third Super Bowl in four years, his fourth Super Bowl overall. And boy, if he wins it on Sunday, there's a real conversation there to whether or not you got to talk about, you know, one of the top five, maybe greatest coaches of all time.
0: Right. And I laugh, you know, back to the days in Philly when people used to say Andy Reid couldn't win the big game and everybody like, kind of knew football. said so Andy Reid's one of the best coaches in football. And what he's done building this culture in Kansas City, it's not just Mahomes, it's also Andy and it's really been unbelievable, but you know, Philly just looks like a beast right now. And it's kind of funny because you're seeing these players that are holdovers from when you know he drafted them, like Jason Kelsey, Brandon Graham, that are you know, still playing at such a high level in the mid-30s. Philly looks like an absolute bully, and uh, it really requires Mahomes to be Superman if the Chiefs want to win, and maybe, maybe it requires Mahomes, Kelsey, and Chris Jones to take over the game, and I just don't think they can do it.
1: You know, it's interesting, and maybe I'm overthinking this. I think I I know your answer based on that comment, but I look at Kansas City, right? They had to go through Trevor Lawrence and Joe Burrow, two hard-fought games with an injured quarterback in Mahomes, whereas Philadelphia beat just a a New York team that I don't know what that was about, divisional round, and then San Francisco literally could not throw the ball 10 yards down the field for 80% of that game. Kansas City Chad's been far more tested but you don't sound like uh, you think that's going to matter very much
0: right they've been tested and beat up right Philly hasn't played a real game in a month and they're a confident football team they know they can run the ball on anybody and I think they're gonna be able to run the ball on the Chiefs throw the ball a little bit but they're just their defensive line is great and I think they can get home against those tackles so I don't see how the Chiefs could do it unless you know Kelsey Mahomes are you know just unbelievable and That could happen. So I think if this is a game where you don't have Mahomes out there, the spread would be a lot larger than what it is.
1: You know, I want to focus on Philly in one second. Final Kansas City thought. Mahomes is the elder statesman of the AFC. It's kind of hard to imagine that at only 27 years of age. But he beat Herbert in the regular season. He beat Josh Allen last year in the playoffs. He just beat Lawrence and Burrow this year. The young quarterbacks in the AFC, Chad, they're coming certainly. But right now it's still Mahomes' conference.
0: Yeah, it really is, and he's just such an incredible player, and 27, you're going to see this for another decade, and hopefully for you you fans down in Duval, it's uh, Burrow, Lawrence, Mahomes, and Herbert for the next decade.
1: Do you think Lawrence deserves to be in the conversation with the Herberts and the, the Josh Allens right now?
0: All he's done since high school is win, right? So that one year where he didn't really have an NFL coach in Urban Meyer, he didn't, right? And he didn't look as talented as in the past or even this past year. But, yes, he's got a little bit of it. I think he's more talented than Burrow for sure. And, yeah, I think he's a really great player. So, yeah, you've you've got one of them. Now, the question is, do you have Mahomes? I I don't think we're ready to say that. A
1: couple more for Chad Forbes at NFL Draft Bites on Twitter. All right, Philadelphia. Julian Love of the New York Giants opened some eyes last week saying Nick Sirianni, the head coach of Philly, is basically getting a, quote, free ride and that there are a lot of people that could coach this Eagle team with all the talent they have on that roster. Uh, did you find that comment to be outrageous or do you think that comment had some credibility to it?
0: I loved it. Give Julian Love some credit. He goes on the NFL Network and rather than giving generic answers, he gives you one that we're talking about a week later. So, do I think he's had a free ride. No, because he's you know basically turned Jalen Hurts into a borderline MVP. So, yeah. <laughs> It's hard to say a free ride, but sure, he's got a great offensive and defensive line. And the general manager there, Howard Roseman, deserves a lot of credit for the roster he's built.
1: Chad, you study these guys every year, man. I value your opinion when it comes to things like this. What happened to Jalen Hurts? There was talk as recently as coming into this year, is he the guy in Philly? And that's a resounding yes right now. How did he turn things around?
0: There's guys that just keep getting better and attack their weaknesses and are able to be coached. And that's rare because a lot of these guys come into the NFL and think they're the best player ever and don't take coaching, right? So every area of his game since he back at Alabama, he just keeps getting better at. And it has a little bit of a feeling of Russell Wilson early in his career. You know, the mid-round quarterback that comes in and has a great football team around him. You know, rather than having to – whether Trevor Lawrence had to bring the whole team along, he kind of went in there and he's played his game and just keeps getting better and works hard. And you know, that's really what I think it is. It's a good football team. He's worked his tail off. And it feels like he's actually ahead of schedule compared to where Russell Wilson was with the Seahawks years ago.
1: I think I know your answer. I'm going to ask you anyway. You're leaning Philadelphia.
0: I'm leaning Philly. Yep. And I'm a Giants fan at heart. So that's tough for me to say, but you, you got to be impressed with the team they've built over the last, you know, five years here.
1: No question. The number one seed in the NFC, <clears throat> the number one seed in the AFC on Sunday in Super Bowl 57 final moments, Chad Forbes, at NFL draft bites on Twitter. Chad, what do you make of some of the head coaching hirings? There's one in the AFC South, D'Amico Ryans, now back to Houston. A lot of people really excited about that hire, Chad. What were your thoughts?
0: Uh, D'Amico Ryans did a great job at San Francisco, but look at the roster he had. I definitely prefer hiring an offensive coach. I think you can replace defensive coordinators, but if you don't have continuity on offense, like what direction are you going in? So I understand it's a great story and a homecoming, but I definitely would have preferred going with an offensive coach. I thought Frank Reich was just kind of like, okay, yes, he's a competent NFL head coach, but does he move the needle? I'm not sure. But sounds of like the owner there was just so tired with not having a competent head coach, he went with Reich. And uh, you know, then we got a couple more openings that should be interesting to see.
1: You like Sean Payton to Denver?
0: Uh, yeah, I do. I mean, the question is, does Sean still have the ability to work the time that he likes to make it great? Or does he get so frustrated with Russell Wilson after a few weeks that he just says, all right, I'm making $18, $20 million a year, you know, who cares? But I think Sean Payton, I think he's going to stay engaged there, and he's a great coach and clearly one of the better offensive guys on the planet.
1: Chad, final question. Indianapolis is still open. Arizona is still open. It's February 6th, right? I mean, it's becoming a problem. I would imagine these teams have to have their decisions made in the next couple of days. What are you hearing as to why – we're almost to the middle part of February, and these jobs are still open.
0: I don't think Arizona is a great opportunity. I mean, if you're a young coach like Mike Kafka, for example, the Giants offense coordinator, do you want to, you're 35 years old, do you want to stake your career on the situation in Arizona where they don't have a quarterback? And then in Indianapolis, you know, I really do think they're waiting for the Eagles offensive coordinator, Shane Steichen. And I think their plan all along is to get Steichen in there and then go get the quarterback from Alabama in the draft, Bryce Young. So the Steichen's is the guy developed, you know, Jalen uh, Hurts in Philadelphia he
1: can develop Bryce Young into Indianapolis. Chad Forbes, at NFL Draft Bites on Twitter. I highly recommend following him. You may not like everything he says all the time, but he's not going to sugarcoat a whole lot, and that's something that I certainly respect. Chad, it's been far too long. Appreciate the time. Let's do this again real soon.
0: Ryan, thank you. I'll give you one before I go. Duval! This is Hacker After Dark. On 1010XL.
1: Yes, it is. We'll shift gears in about five minutes. A little over five minutes. My man, Mark Wise, the ESPN family of networks. I always joke with Mark. He's forgotten more about the world of college basketball than I'll ever know. We're a month away from March Madness. I was getting into it this week, man. Watching UNF. I watched that whole thing start to finish. Um, They're on ESPN3. Some guy named Brent was doing the play-by-play, but I enjoyed uh, Mia on the uh, baseline there, Mia O'Brien. Brent, I love you. I kid because I care. But UNF with a big victory over JU on Thursday and then again on Saturday. So 2-0 and for my alma mater against my wife's alma mater. That was good. And, of course, Florida then had to lose at Rupp Arena on Saturday night. Saw Duke over North Carolina. A lot of good rivalry games, man. So we'll talk college hoops With Mark Wise, less than 10 minutes from night right now. One correction this evening. It's not bad to only have one uh, faux pas, which I've had this evening. I mentioned Brian Flores. He was in line to get a second head coaching interview from the Arizona Cardinals. That was at least the rumor, and I guess it goes to show you what people think of that Arizona job. Brian Flores this afternoon was named defensive coordinator of the Minnesota Vikings. So the former Dolphin coach, even though the rumor was he was going to be one of the guys interviewed for a second time for the head coaching vacancy at Arizona, thanks but no thanks. He is now the new Viking defensive coordinator. Five weeks from today, free agency. That's 25 hacker after darks, if my Wolfson math is correct. Pro Football Focus this weekend released their top 100 free agents. If we're 25 shows away from free agency, that means I'm going to give you four of these guys a night and just give you a quick thought on each of them. They actually have Dewan Smoot, number 100, on this list of the Jaguars coming off his Achilles. They project a three-year, $27 million deal for Dewan Smoot. No way. Absolutely no way. I love pro football focus, but no way he gets that deal coming off a of torn Achilles which is unfortunate, but I think he's going to have to do like a one-year prove-it deal probably back here in Jacksonville. Number 99 on the list, Lorenzo Carter, the former Georgia Bulldog, had a pretty good year in Atlanta this past season. Uh, played 909 plays, 39 tackles. I mean, look, he's a guy. He's projected two years, $12 million on the open market. Number 98, Foster Moreau, tight end for the Raiders, the former LSU Tiger. He's the other tight end that the Raiders have behind Darren Waller. I like Foster Moreau. He'd be a guy, like if Dan Arnold were to leave in free agency, Foster Moreau is the guy I would consider to replace him. He's not going to be your starting tight end, but he could be like maybe a Dan Arnold-type replacement. So keep your eye on a guy like Foster Moreau. 97, George Fant, the offensive tackle for the New York Jets. Again, he plays the right tackle position. I just don't think he's a very good right tackle. Uh, hopefully, Jawan Taylor resigns. If he doesn't, you got Walker Little. Maybe you do something in the draft, but I think George Fant, who I believe is also a former Georgia Bulldog, you could probably go a different direction than him. But we'll give you four guys a as we're 35 days away, 25 Hacker After Darks away from the start of free agency on Monday, March the 13th. Let's shift gears, talk a little college hoops. Mark Wise of the ESPN family of networks. Let's talk Florida. Let's talk Florida State. Let's talk NIL and transfer portal. And is it destroying the game of college basketball? One Hall of Fame head coach over the weekend said it is. We'll talk about the Mark Wise next on Hacker After Dark. Back here on 1010XL at 92.5 FM in the city of Jacksonville. We are glad you are with us. Boy, we've been so caught up in the National Football League. You look at the calendar, and we're getting towards the middle part of February already. It is just around the corner, which means March Madness is just around the corner. College basketball really heating up. You saw some great rivalries over the weekend. Duke over North Carolina. You saw the River City Rumble with UNF sweeping JU. And Florida, a good battle at Rupp Arena, but ultimately Kentucky got them in the end. Let's talk about all of it with our man Mark Wise of the ESPN family of networks. He's always kind enough to join us here on 1010XL in Jacksonville.
4: Mark, how we doing, man? I'm doing great, Hopper, and I got to tell you, we got all kinds of room for you on the Hoop Junkie Jet. You can come on board now.
1: <laughs> no, I. you know what? I watched a lot of college basketball over the weekend. I watched my alma mater beat my wife's alma mater. Always nice when UNF gets uh, the check mark <laughs> in the River City Rumble there. It's a big deal here locally. In other rivalry games, Mark, I mean, look, Florida came back, put up a good fight in the end. Ultimately, Kentucky was too much. Uh, what's your take on Todd Golden now? What, 23 games in, 13 and 10 on the year?
4: Well, I don't think there's two thoughts. One is he's got them in a place defensively I didn't know they could get to in terms of what the numbers say. They're outstanding on the defensive end, especially the way they guard the arc. Um, the second part is I think they've kind of created their identity. It, it took a little bit of a while with the uh, lineup change and going to the bigger backcourt. Um, Myron Jones has been really steady. I mean, he hasn't been a, a, a knockdown shooter, uh, but like, like we thought he might be when he came to Florida in the first place. But, you know, he's got like a 31-assist, 4-turnover ratio in league play. Uh, the combination of Jones and and Lofton in the backcourt, I think, has created an identity, and then they know who they are on the offensive end by playing through Colin Castleton. The biggest disappointment from this team is one thing that we um, we've said for the last couple of years: they just don't have a lot of great shooters.
1: And they do hit cold spurts, and they do hit point droughts. There is no question about that. Mark, you're very familiar with Gator Nation. You know the expectations of Gator fans they see 13 and 10 and some people are not happy about that what's your message to them
4: well if they were 23 and 6 I'm thinking the same people would not be happy (laughs) Um, you know the people in Lexington aren't happy Um, the people in Duke aren't happy right now you mentioned the win over Carolina and so and Carolina fans are hoping that Carolina can catch the same sort of late season magic that they did last year when they made that run in the NCAA title game. Um, Again, when when we when we get on the social media and we start reading about um, things that people are saying, one, I don't think there's any. They have no clue what's involved. And so I don't give it as a matter of fact, I don't even look, I'm about this close to getting off Twitter altogether because somehow we've made being mean. Okay. And it's not. Um, so I don't put any stock into it. I'm pretty confident. Todd Golden doesn't put any stock in. It. Um, would they like to have had a couple of those close losses? Uh, did they, did they execute down the stretch and a couple of close losses? No, no. But if, if, If you want to, you know, I'll go to this with the same sort of uh, um, um, comparison. Kentucky's fan base thinks Kentucky should win an NCAA title every year. Well, that's just as ludicrous as Florida basketball fans thinking they should go to the Final Four every year. It just... Again, it just doesn't work that
1: way. Yeah, Mark Wise of the ESPN family of networks. Mark, I agree. You know, the expectations are wild. Um, The one thing, as we wrap up our Florida thoughts, I want to move on to some other things. Colin Castleton is nearing the end of his Gator career. What a fascinating story. Uh, He he transfers in from Michigan. I think averaged like one point a game his one year in Ann Arbor. Yeah, and then he comes to Florida, Mark, and he's going to leave – as one of the best big men that program has seen in two plus decades, I mean it really's been a great ride for Colin Castleton.
4: Yeah, and here's the thing that I don't I think gets lost in the shuffle about Castleton because everybody looks at his points and rebounds. But to me, his biggest impact for this team is what he gives them defensively. When I talk about um, Florida's numbers, they're top ten. I think they're tenth today in Kim Pom defensive efficiency. The reason is, is not because they create a lot of turnovers and force a lot of steals. It's because they have one of the great rim protectors in the college game today, Castleton. He makes up for a lot of mistakes. I've always said, if you want to be good defensively, you've got to have great team speed. I think Florida's very average. you got to have great length. I think Florida's very average. You've got to have the ability to rim protect, and that's where Castleton gives them that one element that is simply off the charts.
1: At 13-10, and and 6-4 in the conference, I believe they have eight conference games left. Is there a magic number, Mark? Do they need to get to 17 or 18 to to have a shot on Selection Sunday?
4: I I don't think there is any magic number because if I give you a number and yet the teams around them on the bubble do better than they do, then you're not going to get in. Um, I think, you know, in in a what – what-if kind of scenario, the the at Arkansas, the Kentucky two-game swing there at the February 18th, 22nd, you probably need to win one of those. Uh, You probably need to win everything else at home and go from there and see if that's good enough. You know, when you start looking at, and I was a little bit surprised today because I started looking at this, when you start comparing resumes, how many quad one wins, and I'm not going to get into the math of that, but how many quad one wins does Florida have? They have two and everybody goes, well, they're two and eight. They only have two wins. Okay. Well, Arkansas only has one. Auburn only has one. Kentucky only has one. So um, all these teams uh, don't have a right now on the league, don't have a lot of meat on their NCAA resume bone. And as a consequence, that's why they're living around the bubble. And I think Lenardis just came out in the last 20 minutes where Kentucky and Arkansas are in the last four buys. The very first team out is Texas A&M. The second team out is Florida. So that's four teams in this conference that uh, are kind of battling in Bubbleville.
1: Yeah, no question. Florida still has opportunities, but they got to start getting some W's. Uh, quickly, Mark, a, a quick thought over in Tallahassee. Look, I'd be lying if I said that I've watched every Florida State basketball right. game this year, but I know that Leonard Hamilton's a heck of a coach. And I know there's, no a, there's a standard in Tallahassee. And my question to you is, what on earth has happened this year? Because that is uh, it is not good.
4: Well, they had injuries early on. Uh, I mean, uh, not just some injuries, but a lot of injuries. And, and everybody will tell you, um, you know, look at Arkansas playing without Brazil and playing without Nick Smith Jr. You know, one of the things that I always uh, kind of cringe about is when somebody says, well, it's just next man up. Well, if the next man up was as good, he wouldn't be the next man up. <laughs> That's true, yeah. So from that standpoint, I think that caught up to them. Um, I do think this, I, I've said this, and this impacts FSU in some ways. I don't think our game has ever been better. I'm talking about the, the spreading of the talent. And the reason I say that is because the transfer portal allows everyone to be older. So in years past, when you had super freshmen and FSU and Leonard have had their share of super freshmen, we know that. And they mixed it in with the older guys. Well, now they're playing everybody who has older guys. And so our game has never been as good, but it's never been as old. Therefore, I think the parity has never been uh, more widespread. And everybody, every fan base goes, when I say that, every fan base says, oh, I, I get that. Yeah, yeah. But. That
1: should impact our team. Mark Wise of the ESPN Family of Networks, you mentioned the transfer portal. I've had many conversations with you about the portal. Look, again, I'm not going to say I'm an encyclopedia about this. It's why I have you on because, as I often say, you have forgotten more about college basketball than I'll ever know. But I look at a team like Kansas State, and this is where we are in today's day and age in college ball because Kansas State was bad last year. They basically went out and got an entire new starting lineup via the portal, including Keontae Johnson, the former Gator, and now Kansas State's a top, what, 15 ball club. So I guess my question, Mark, is that good for college basketball?
4: Oh, gosh, I don't know if it's good or not, but um, I think it's here to stay. Uh, I think we're going to see a lot of this. It's become roster management. But you are my witness. You will know that I have said for the last seven or eight years that we have had a transfer portal problem. Yep, you have. And so we just swung the pendulum in the other way. We we, you know, we went from giving the uh, student-athletes no rights to we couldn't figure out how to adjudicate the transfer portal and the waiver, and now you can transfer anywhere you want, and we're going to give you a COVID redo, which obviously the NCAA had nothing to do with, but um, and, and I think they had to do that. But we've got one more year of the COVID redo. So so players are right now allowed to play three years in three different schools because you can play for school A, transfer on the one-time transfer to school B, graduate, and then play again on your redo from the COVID year in third school. And, and you know, we're just kind of in this window where um, uh, that's kind of a unique situation. That's That part's not good for our game.
1: Final moments with Mark Wise of the ESPN Family of Networks. Jim Beheim had some pretty interesting comments over the weekend about the state of college basketball, essentially saying, I'm paraphrasing here, but basically saying that Roy Williams and Jay Wright and and Coach K all got out because of what's going on right now with the portal and teams are buying guys left and right. I mean, what did you make of Beheim's comments?
4: Well – First of all, it's Jim, and so he can be hot-headed in press conferences. He can be really hot-headed when he gets beat. Uh, as a starting point, um, you know, I, I've said this for years. Um, we're we're kind of on the honor system in the in the basketball world in terms of violations, and now we're in this era of, of tampering. If you know what's going on, then turn people in. Don't don't complain about. Turn them in. And I don't know if anything will happen about it because the NCAA is involved. And to this point in time in the last 20 years, every step that the NCAA has taken in terms of enforcement of rules has been the wrong one. Uh, So I don't know that anything can happen. But uh, unless you're willing to uh, turn people in, uh, then it's just kind of hot air.
1: You know, I, I tend to agree with you. I guess the only thing that really caught my eye from Bayheim's comments, and look, all three guys are established and want to do other things and have other opportunities and didn't need to prove anything else, but it right. was odd when you think about it that Roy Williams, Jay Wright, and Coach K all basically got out within, what, a year or two of each other and, and that did you know kind of lead the mind to wander a little bit as I was listening sure. to Bayheim
4: sure I, I i agree totally and I think uh, um, I think the transfer portal in combination with the Nil uh has it, it's a new it's a new world of recruiting it is a new world of roster management there is no player development well let me rephrase that the player development that we used to talk to uh, or talk about in years past would be from your freshman year to the sophomore year or from your sophomore year to your senior year. Player development within the program. Now, player development is strictly, it strictly starts in August and it'll end in April of one year.
1: Marcus, we wrap up. I got to ask you you know, my undying passion for the Orlando Magic, um, they got a stud. Wow. In Paolo Bancaro, that guy yep. is a stud. I know he only played one year at Duke, but did you see Bancaro coming into the NBA and having this sort of impact?
4: Yeah, I really did. I, first of all, he's got the body. He's got the offensive game. Um, I, I thought the being um, built like he is is better than most freshmen to withstand the rigors of the 82-game schedule. So, yeah, I think now, that, now they've got to put pieces around him. And, um, otherwise he's going to play his three years and move on. Yeah. So, uh, they, they've got to, if they want to make a jump, if they want to get serious, they've got to put other people around them.
1: Yeah. Hopefully Franz Wagner, Jalen Suggs, Wendell, Wendell Carter's actually been really good since Orlando acquired him. They got a lot of young talent down there. We'll see what happens. Mark, let people in Jacksonville know your schedule. You're like the busiest man on television this time of year. What do you have coming up? What games are you doing?
4: yeah, I just got through with, like, five games in 12 days, and now I've got a midweek off. And on Saturday, I'll have Texas A&M, the very first team out in the NCAA tournament at LSU. And then next Wednesday, I've got Kentucky at Mississippi State. And keep your eye on Mississippi State because they actually have some quad one wins, Um Uh, And that's a team that needs depth of a resume, and they need wins, and and that would be a good opportunity for them. So, and then from there, uh, I think I've got Mississippi State and Ole Miss in in a Magnolia rivalry game the following Saturday.
1: It's hard to turn on ESPN or any of the family and networks this time of year and not see Mark Wise somewhere calling a college basketball game. Mark, always appreciate the time, man. Thank you very much. Let's do it again closer to Selection Sunday.
4: Will do. Thanks much.
1: Mark Wise of the ESPN Family of Networks here with us on 1010XL in Jacksonville. And that'll just about wrap it up for what has been a very, very busy Monday night edition of Hacker After Dark. Thank you guys for hanging out with us here on 1010XL and on 92.5 FM. We got a lot of people to thank. Certainly want to thank Mark Wise of the ESPN family of networks. Always appreciate his college basketball perspective here on Hacker After Dark. Also want to thank my man Chad Forbes at NFL Draft Bites on Twitter. That guy will tell you what he thinks, man. That's why we love having Chad on. He doesn't sugarcoat a whole lot, and you'll hear more from Chad Forbes as we get closer to the draft here on Hacker After Dark. And my friend Dave Campo. A little Monday night coaching with Campo, as we always do on Mondays, as it is Super Bowl week, Kansas City and Philadelphia, Super Bowl 57. Of course, Dave Campo has three Super Bowl rings on his finger from his time with the Dallas Cowboy organization, so always appreciate his perspective here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM. We will be back tomorrow night. Are you kidding me? Our late night show on a Tuesday. Where else would you rather be on a Tuesday night from 10 o'clock to midnight than right here with Dylan Denmark and yours truly on Hacker After Dark, and we hope that you do join us then. Dylan Denmark was your producer tonight. Dylan, great job as always. I am the Hacker Ryan Green in Jacksonville. Thank you for spending part of your Monday evening with us right here on Hacker After Dark, on 1010XL, and 92.5. FM. So for all of us here on HAD, have an absolutely terrific remainder of your Monday evening, and we will do it all over again on a Tuesday
2: beginning at 10 o'clock. Until then, good night, Jacksonville.